You are listening to Announce. This is Season 2, Bonus Episode 1, Part 2 of a three-part episode, Personal Security, Preparedness, and Gun Ownership. You are listening to Announce, a podcast providing inspiration, ideas, and wisdom through engaging stories, commentary, and interviews so you can live life better. I'm Jim Fugate, and it's my privilege to share an ounce with you. This bonus episode is segment two of a three-part series on improving personal security and preparedness. If you haven't heard segment one yet, you might want to go back and give it a listen. These three episode segments are a recorded phone interview with Michael Faith of Faith Firearms and Preparedness Training, located in Western Maryland. In the first segment, we talked about aspects of personal and family security that should be considered whether you have a gun or not. In this second part, we'll be talking about factors that should be considered if you're thinking about purchasing a firearm, including where you are now with respect to your understanding of firearms and your current level of competence, differing laws and regulations, and liabilities associated with owning a firearm. In part three, we'll look at various aspects of owning a firearm, including costs, time, and the commitment required to be a competent and responsible gun owner. Here is part two of the interview. So, Mike, why don't you introduce yourself again real quick, just in case people haven't gotten that first episode. Tell us about your business, and just real quickly, if people needed to contact you, how they could do that. Excellent. Thanks, Jim. So my name is uh, Mike Faith. I founded a company uh, last summer called Faith. I named it Faith Firearms and Preparedness Training. Uh, I've been a firearms instructor and involved in the firearms industry since about 2009. Uh, currently, I'm NRA training counselor, which means I can teach the basic level courses for NRA and plus the instructor level. So I've trained lots of folks. I enjoy doing that. And I've helped lots of folks make their decision about buying their first firearm. I started the company because I saw a real need for some more holistic or comprehensive approach to personal security and, and not just shoving a gun into everyone's hand and demanding they pay for my training. And so I, I enjoy doing that. I really uh, employ kind of a consultative approach with my clients, looking at their uh, unique situations and then making suggestions. But there are some folks that I've talked to that, that don't like guns. That's okay. They're Americans. They have that choice. And so we did, we developed a plan unique for their circumstance. I can be reached very easily. Um, my website is www.firearmtraining.net and email is the best, mike at firearmtraining.net. All right, Mike, thanks. So based on the, let's assume that we've had the conversation about all the other factors because we have in our first episode. And now I've come back to you and I've said, you know what, I've done all of that and that's been really good. I feel a lot better about it. But I really think I need to consider purchasing a firearm to enhance that, that, uh, that security level in my life. What kinds of things should I be considering and thinking about before I make the decision to go ahead and do it? It's an excellent question. And I, I love the fact that we've talked about everything else first before we talk about the gun. So now I know that Jim's in a place where he's carefully considered other things in his life and other things he could do to make himself more secure, protecting him and his family and his property. And now he's reached the point where, you know, I think I'd like to enhance what I have already in place with firearms. So um, there's a million, there's lots of different things you consider. First of all, you want to consider your level of experience and training. So in this country, we have a second amendment to the U S constitution. It's part of the bill of rights. It's very important. And we all have a right to own firearms with the exception of prohibited persons, obviously. 
But as an American, you're born with the right to own a gun. You're not born with the knowledge on how to use it. So that's your responsibility. So if you're completely new to firearms, you've never owned a firearm, you, you don't, maybe you've never shot a firearm, maybe your father gave you a rifle, which you've never used. Um, you know, I'm personally not a hunter. I've never I've done, I haven't done much hunting in my life. It's just not my thing. So what level of experience and training do you have? Once you've made that careful self-evaluation, how are you going to address those deficiencies? So I would recommend getting some training. The great thing about getting firearms training in your state, okay, in your, your locality, is that typically a good instructor will also include discussion of local laws, okay? And if you're not in the industry, if you're not actively involved in lobbying efforts, 2A issues or things like that, it's quite likely you don't know what your local laws are, and that's very important, okay? So you always want to follow the law. And we have a process in this country. If we don't like the law, there are ways to change it. But you don't want to do that. You can't do that by breaking the law. So looking at, you know, resources, there are resources online. You can go to, uh, you can do a search online looking for uh, firearms training in your area. The second thing you want to think about, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just got a quick question here. I I really like the statements you've made where, based on the Second Amendment to the Constitution, everybody has a right to own a handgun, but having the right to own it and knowing how to use it are two very different and distinct things and that we have to look at how much do we actually know about firearms, especially maybe the specific firearm we're going to be using, and then in what environment have we used it? Were we a hunter? Were we in the military? Have we been a, a former law enforcement officer? What's our level of training and experience? Or are we completely un? just don't have a clue and we need to start from the basics. And then again, as you said, knowing what the laws are, they're very different. Now, I know that there are some some extreme differences. Um, for example, right there in the area where you're at in Maryland, could you describe a little bit the differences, let's say, between the laws that exist in Maryland and what the law is just a few miles away in West Virginia, for example? Yes, yeah, it's, it's an excellent question. So and it really makes my point. Um, so Maryland is one of the most tightly regulated states in the country as far as firearms go. So in, in Maryland, for example, if you want to purchase a handgun, you have to be 21 years of age, you have to p- possess a Maryland HQL, handgun qualification license. Okay, it's not a license to carry. It's just a license to purchase a handgun. To get that HQL requires three things. You have to take a four-hour training course with very few exceptions. Um, you have to do an application with Maryland State Police, which will cost you about $50. And then you have to be fingerprinted, uh, electronically fingerprinted. And those are submitted to the state as part of your application. Fingerprints will cost you around $60, $65. So the the barrier to entrance into the handgun market can be quite high if, you're, if you don't have a lot of uh, monetary, if you don't have a lot of cash, right? So you're talking probably right around $8,200 for the four hours of training, which includes a live fire component. Um, then you're talking about you know $50, another $60, $65. So it starts to add up a little bit. So you spend a couple hundred bucks roughly uh, before you actually purchase the handgun. So once you have you possess your HQL, then you have to select the handgun you want to purchase. You can go ahead and pay for it. And then you have to submit an application to purchase, and there's a seven-day wait. They do another background check. To get a carry permit in Maryland is very challenging, okay? So in Maryland, Maryland is a may-issue state as opposed to shall-issue, the difference being that in shall-issue states, if you pass a background check and meet the criteria, you shall be issued a permit. In Maryland, if you pass a background check and meet the criteria, they may issue a permit, okay? For most people in Maryland, 
you have to be a business owner to get a carry permit. Okay, short of being a business owner and making deposits on behalf of your business, which the state views as putting you at greater risk for violence or crime because of the money. Short of that, you have to have documented threats against your person, arrest reports, things like that. It's very challenging in Maryland to do that. If you meet that good and substantial reasoning, you're required to get 16 hours of training before you can submit your application. The application is very lengthy. You have to provide bank statements showing cash flow, deposit slips, invoices, things like that, and you have to be fingerprinted again. And there's a $75 application fee. So very, very tightly regulated. There are very strict rules on transporting firearms in Maryland. You can transport, to transport any firearm in the state of Maryland, you have to have it unloaded in the case or holster with the ammunition separate, and you have to have a reason. In other words, I'm going to the range, I'm going to the gunsmith, I'm going to my brother's house, we're going to shoot over there. Um, you cannot just put a gun unloaded in the case or holster with the ammunition separate and drive and run errands. So very, very tightly regulated in Maryland. You have to be 21 to purchase a, hand, purchase a handgun. You can only purchase one handgun with a few exceptions every 30 days or two every 60. In West Virginia, it's a complete contrast. Um, it's virtually unregulated. Handguns and fire and long guns are treated the same in West Virginia. There's no waiting periods. Um, it's constitutional carry, which means that if you are legally able to possess a handgun or a firearm, then you can carry one open or concealed on your person in West Virginia, even if you're not a resident. You're not required to have a carry permit. And, of course, there's no permit or license required to purchase a handgun. You have to be 21 to purchase a handgun, 18 for a long gun in West Virginia, same as Maryland. But in West Virginia, at the age of 18, uh, you can get a provisional carry permit and carry a concealed firearm on your person. You have to go through the application process, um, and West Virginia does require a training course. There's no minimum amount of time, but does require a training course with a live fire component to get that permit. So it's a stark contrast. And I will say this, Maryland, particularly Baltimore, metropolitan area, crime rates very, very high. Drug, drugs are a problem everywhere. Crime rate, the crime rate in Maryland is very high. West Virginia does not have the same level of crime. Now, it's not necessarily apples to apples because West Virginia does not have large metropolitan areas. Okay. But um, I have a father in law who's a prosecutor, who's a defense attorney in Jefferson County, West Virginia, and he will tell me that the cases they prosecute, the criminals they haul into court, are all from Baltimore metropolitan area and it's usually drug related. I would say there's not a correlation between tight gun control and low crime whatsoever, based on my experience. So does that kind of explain a little bit there? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, there's some very stark differences, and you've added some very, I think, important information for us to understand. But again, I think the point that's important to remember is, yeah, okay, I might have to go through all kinds of hoops in Maryland in order to purchase and then carry a firearm. And in West Virginia, I might not. But the responsibility for being able to do that safely and in an educated and competent manner remains the same whether the state's requiring training or not. 100%. So let's, what, what are some of the liability or legal issues that I might look at or have to worry about? You talked about some of the laws I'm going to have to meet, but let's say I've got that, I've purchased that gun, I've got it, I'm carrying it. Are there liability issues or other legal issues that I might have to be concerned about and think about before I decide to purchase before I decide to get permitted to carry? Yeah, absolutely. When you think about using a gun uh, for protection, using lethal force to protect you or a loved one, or carrying a firearm on your person, there's a lot of liability there. If you pull that firearm out and use deadly force to stop a threat, can you articulate to a jury or your peers successfully that you did not commit a crime, you followed the law? 
there's a lot of liability there. Do you have resources available to hire an attorney if you get charged with a crime? Uh, understanding that <clears throat> this is not a knock on law enforcement, but in states like Maryland, the laws are so complicated, so complex. I don't, I can't imagine any state police officer understanding every jot and tittle of, of the code. So you may be charged with a crime. You may need legal defense. Do you have the resources available? If you don't, and most people, even if you do, to protect what you have, I would take a hard look at, at some type of liability protection coverage. Okay, there's a few companies out there that offer it. U.S. Law Shield, USCCA, NRA has a product called Carry Guard. So I'm not going to go into details on those, but you need to spend some time researching those and find some way to protect yourself and protect your livelihood and possessions from mounting legal bills if you do get charged with crime. Some of these things can be very gray and open to interpretation. For example, in Maryland, we actually don't have any self-defense laws on the books. There's no statute. You can't go pull the code out and read, this is what perfect self-defense is. It's based on court precedent with a semi-watered-down castle doctrine mixed in. That's hard to understand. You have to be a, le- a lawyer to interpret that. I carry I carry insurance, liability insurance, just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, I think it's important to make the note that just like the right to carry the gun and the kind of regulation you have to go through, the hoops you might have to jump through or not in order to have a gun and carry it, the issues that determine whether or not you're going to be liable or not are also very different depending on the state you're in. And I think that you mentioned that, that Maryland has something that's not real clear. And then you talked about the Castle Doctrine. I know places like Texas and other, other areas have some very clearly, plainly understood doctrines in the law that will determine whether or not what you've done is something that could be considered legal or breaking the law or murder or assault or self-defense. But the final line is, I think, the most important, that there are some associations and products out there that you can buy into to cover the liability that you're going to have if you choose to carry. And those should yeah. be considered, absolutely. Yeah, and I think another point, another thing, too, is people need to understand the difference between a criminal a criminal trial and a civil trial. So the burden of proof in a criminal trial is very high. It's beyond a reasonable doubt, okay? So if you're 10 to 1 um, and against you, the one juror is a holdout, you will not be convicted of the crime. But if in civil court, it's preponderance of the evidence. So literally, 5 to 4, you know, um, mm-hmm. against you, and you were considered civilly liable. And, of course, the case we all are very familiar with is O.J. Simpson, found not, not guilty in a criminal trial, but found civilly liable and bankrupted as a result. So, you know, liability protection that covers you civilly and criminally, I think, is absolutely critical. Interesting and important stuff from Michael Faith of Faith Firearms and Preparedness Training. If you have any question for Mike, send him an email on the old interwebs thingy. You can send him a note at this address, mike at firearmtraining.net. The third and final segment of this bonus episode of Announce will cover issues you'll want to consider once you've decided you are going to take the step into gun ownership. It's not just a buy it and you're done thing. Find out more in the next segment of this first bonus episode of Season 2. I'm Jim Fugate, and I'll catch you next time. That's announced for now. Thanks for listening and subscribing to this podcast. Listen again for more information, ideas, and wisdom, an ounce at a time.
check out our YouTube videos at youtube.com forward slash at an ounce podcast. That's youtube.com forward slash at symbol an ounce podcast.